Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And I got to tell you, people, I'm coming to you live from Sweet Recording in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. It's a beautiful studio. You got to come down here. Joe Gangemi and Matthew are great. They know what they do. They don't screw around. And they're good people. And uh, I have a good person on my show today. I'm thinking about it. I've known this guy like forever. Okay. And we used to work out at the same comedy club. And me, I went out and toiled around in LA and didn't do shit. Him, he hung in Philadelphia and created a huge brand. I mean, the guy, everyone knows the guy now. I talk to people, they go, Oh, you know, you know, JoeConklin.com. And I go, Yeah, I know JoeConklin.com. And my guess is Joe Conklin. How you doing, Joe? I'm great, man. Good to see you again, Coop. You know, it's good to see you. It's funny. When this show airs, it'll be too late. But you're coming in January. You have the, the City Rhythm Orchestra. Tell me about that. Because I know you're great. We're going to get into how you got your voices. But I didn't know you sang. And, I mean, well, tell me about the orchestra. Well, uh, my whole family's uh, – I come from a family of singers. That's basically, you know, I have this talent with voices. It's genetic. I didn't have a whole lot to do with it. But my dad was a singer at um, – He's a trained classical singer. My my mom also sang at church. They both sang uh, at church. Uh, so, and my s older sister sang in all the musicals at school. I'm the sixth of seven kids growing up in an Irish Catholic row home that was singing all the time in the house. So we all kind of sang. So I kind of always did some singing, uh, um, not a whole lot in my acts, but um, I always wanted to do it. And the dream was to get a, a band so you can do whatever you want. You know, now I got this orchestra. I was fortunate to um, uh, bump into a guy by the name of Pete Spina of the City Rhythm Orchestra. We got together for a, a roast uh, with up at Parks Casino with Mike Baldini. And um, the guy's just so talented. He surrounds himself with the most talented people in the city. And we put this thing together and it's kind of working. It's like a Philly sports. It's my act put to music, basically. It's a salute to the Philly sports. It's a little bit nostalgic. It's just like my act. It's just like all of our acts now, if we don't update it every day. Oh, what do you got now? Old stuff? No, it's nostalgic. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what are you talking about? It's going to be too late. The show's in January. When's this air? No, no, I, thought you, I thought you had one tonight. I thought you had, uh, you had uh, a I show should, tonight. I, no, I got, I got two tomorrow up at Cellar, in the Sellersville Theater up in Sellersville, Bucks County. And then we have two more in January and one in, in February. Okay, so, no, so I, was, every, you know. I was talking about the ones for t tomorrow. We, we went, people won't go to it. They'll go Tuesday. They'll show up at Sellersville and like Saturday after Thanksgiving, they'll go, fuck Cooper. He said there's a show yeah, there. Yeah, Where yeah. is he? I'm seeing a cover band of ELO, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. So, a lot of that going around. I got to ask you, you know, I remember from when you did your act, you know, you, you started you started doing Philly impressions. And I remember you did a Ray Rhodes, I, I, if, I, if, if it corrects oh, yeah. me. Now, oh, yeah. now, first of all, how did you get to doing impressions? You know, if, if you sang, you sang. But, you know, every kid wants to do impressions. And, and, you know, we all do John Wayne or we do Richard Nixon, depending on how old we are. And a lot of us suck at it. But how did you know when you were good at getting voices, getting the bell? Because you hit them head on. Uh, I think it's more of the same. It's it's a it's a genetic thing. We all did impressions in my house too, you know. Um, and before the singing was just part of it, it mimicry. I, I mimicked everything. We mimicked all uh, my family members, my aunts, my uncles, my neighbors before I got into school. And then I started doing the teachers. So 
it's very odd. My father used to imitate the, the bishop. My, my, my father worked as a cantor, a singer for the church. The bishop would call our house. He would sing funerals. So either the priest or sometimes the bishop. We had Bishop Graham in our, in our parish at St. Helena's Parish. And uh, he was one of the auxiliary bishops of, in Philly on the car, Cardinal Court. He was kind of a big deal. And it was pretty special for us to have the bishop in our, as our pastor. So he would uh, call the house. And, um, you know, we'd all imitate the bishop. My father would imitate the bishop. Hello, Jim. We have a 10 on Wednesday and an 11 on Thursday. You know, that big voice. So it was kind of ingrained in me growing up. Um, just mimicking everything. And who's got a better bishop than uh, th this one? Can you do Uncle Bob? Yeah, let's hear. He always does Uncle Bob. I I'm doing Uncle Bob better. Well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, we're doing Uncle Dutch's impression. I'm stealing my brother Jim's Uncle Dutch impression. You know, I'm, I can do it better. So I don't know. I, I, I came out the one who's probably, although I have uh, two brothers and a sister who, do make some dough off of it you know they, they a little sideline they're singing my sister does funerals and weddings my brother john does a, a beautiful uh philly soul act where he does falsetto and my brother jim's in a couple bands singing and playing guitar so but i think i've i i, I probably have the most public uh career with it and i don't know maybe i i'm the one in the house that does the best voices but I, I don't know how it happens but it happened i think it's a lot to do with the genes and uh, you know the ear um there's hearing them maybe a little better i'm not sure now what happened what, what made you get on stage for the comedy factory outlet <laughs> i mean it's, it's comedy and it's funny because you were you were good there was one impression i forget his name but he would he would close his act and he would do like 37 impressions in one and he'd be doing like like jimmy stewart and all this stuff and you'd be going he worked for scarpati and the guy i forget the guy's name he was he's disappeared but he was like you probably know him he was and he was one of those impressions you work on him and he had no act like you have material his was just like you're working you're busting your ass you're doing comedy you're writing jokes and he goes and does oh and the crowd's and you're like Fuck this! But I mean, when did you decide to do? When did you? Oh, wait a minute! Wait, 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 wait a minute, Mister Potter, Mary, Mary. Of course, I love Jimmy Stewart. Um, I had to become a comedian. You know, uh, growing up as a kid, all through grade school and high school, I was just an impressionist. But when and then I would go on the talent shows and go up to comedy clubs and anywhere nightclubs, just get up on stage. They had gong shows back then, if you remember, talent nights and really was just the list of impressions like you said but when i started doing the comedy you had to have a twist you had to have some jokes with it you had to have switches reversals put them out of fish out of water stuff you know and then you keep doing it and you, you get just you get used to kind of playing with that so yeah you, and you're watching other comics so you you're seeing what they're doing with their presentation whether it's set up punchline set up punchline or you know, hey, I went to, this is what happened to me today. So you steal a little bit of everything and you know how to, you slowly, you know how it is, you slowly learn to develop your persona on stage. But the, uh, the real uh, growth came or growth or pressure. Uh, when I started, when I got into radio, I had to, um, we had to write material. It had to come up with bits every single day. And it was not, it was like several bits every day. I got in, I got on to um, WCAU FM in 1986. I think I was 23, 
And I was like, well, what the hell's all this? You know, it was like, oh, this was the was a great progression as I went through college and had the internship at Channel 17, went to school for Temple, for radio, for communications. So everything happened in perfect order. And it was great. Then I got on the uh, on the air. I was like, wow, we got I got to start. I got to start writing. I got to start turning over material. And honestly, it's too much for one guy to handle. You got to have some help. So I have I've, I've had I have writers, but I have one guy in particular who's been with me since I started uh, as a caller on WIP. You know the journey in radio. You get hired, fired, hired, fired. You're out. You're in. You're out. So uh, that the about a year and a half after I started at the WCAU FM, they changed formats. They go from hot hits to oldies. So I'm like surviving. They changed the morning show. I'm doing weekends. And then all of a sudden I'm done, you know, and then I'm out of work. And then the, the sports station comes along about a year after that. And my act is sports material. I grew up as a crazy sports fan doing all the announcers, doing Harry Callis and, and uh, Bill Campbell, Dave Zinkoff, Dan Baker. All those voices were already in my act. So it was a total uh, easy marriage for WIP, the sports station. So it was at that point when Jody Matt, uh, uh, Jody Matt, I sent tapes out to every show including the program director. Uh, Jody's producer, Joe Wechter at the time, was the only guy that called me back. Jody said, let's have you on. We'll have you on once a week. I had to do 10 new minutes a week. And I started calling everybody I knew. Uh, yeah, hey, let's, you know, I'm trying to get some jokes or what's going on, trying to get a feel for, did you see the game last night? What happened? What was funny? What happened in the game? The Eagles game lasts a whole week. The Phillies game, it's only usually the next night because there's another game. Sixers and Flyers, same thing. But it was all those big, poor teams and all the material. So, But you didn't always have to do a coach or a player. I could do Johnny Mathis coming in, doing a song about the, the Phillies bullpen or you know something crazy like that. But um, I'm watching the Eagles game, and I used to, you know, still do, but you know, I always watch with a notepad, you know, because you're looking for funny stuff or the, the story of the game or whatever's going down. I'm watching the Eagles game at my brother's house. He's got a house full of people. He worked at SEPTA. He's got five SEPTA guys over there. And um, this one guy kept firing funny lines after every uh, after every play. I'm writing them down. It's just it's Mike Doherty. I don't know if you know Mike Doherty. I know Doc. Work- I know. Yeah, I know Doc. I yeah. So Doc is a brilliant, brilliant writer. He's he's uh he's out of his mind. You know, he's a Kensingtonian, Palethorpe Street, St. Hugh's Parish, which all fits into the same, you know, um, the same uh, cloth uh, uh, thread or whatever. Um, but Mike Dockerty's just killing me with these lines. I said, dude, I got to hire you. I got to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm start paying him per joke. I said, this ain't going to work. I got to, I got to put you on retainer. I believe that was 90 or 91. The guy's been on the payroll ever since. He's an absolute genius. Uh, and it is what's great about Doc is it's, it's, it's immediate. It's turnaround. You've heard the, the saying a ball player can roll out of bed and hit a double off the wall. That's Mike Doherty. I mean, I literally get him out of bed at 5 a.m. Said, you know, we'll write the night before. I said, Doc, I got I got to change some things. And he's back he, two, three minutes later. He's back with three jokes and he's an absolute machine. And I, I wouldn't be where I am without him. For, for uh, That's the truth. But yeah, so I had to become a comedian in addition to the the voices. I wouldn't be on the radio either without being able to do the voices too. And that's a God-given genetic thing. Um, 
So I guess the only thing I did was kind of pull it all together and um, try to stay on the air. Now, what was what was your progression? You know, you said you got on WIP, you know, once a week with Jody Mack. But then you, when do you start building? Because you have a brand, people know you, and and now we'll get to now how you do a lot of private events, and you know, you become the voice of Philadelphia somewhat. When did you start getting momentum? When did you start getting past? You know, once once a week with Jody Mack. When did you start finding out that you could sit there and do your things, and then all of a sudden you said, "Well, you know what? I can headline a show because people will come to see me." You know, when did all that start happening? Because I know you do a lot of shows. I want to get eventually to your relationship. Yeah, that, that's 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 weird. The thing, the headlining part. Like I never thought I, you know, you take me out of Philly, I'm not a headliner. You know what I mean? Um, fifty miles after fifty miles, I start going become a middle and then an MC <laughs> because it's just on the. I getting tickets, getting room. tickets at the door. <laughs> I'm not real good with a room full of people from out of town. You know, so you're right about the uh, uh, the, the um, it's it's been easy for me because the people um, <clears throat> they they know my act, they're familiar with my act. Uh, so that happened after I did Jody for about a year or so. Um, the morning show at WIP was just starting to build and start just starting to come into their own. That was Angelo, Tony, and Al. It was Cataldi, Tony Bruno, who left about a year after I started. After that. And then Al Morgani. So they started hearing my bits in the afternoon on Jody's show. They were actually playing chunks of what I said the afternoon before. Then they said, let's just get this guy in here. So I started working for them a couple days a week. And about within about six months, um, they put me on the morning show because they wanted the, the comedic element more often than just – they were just doing crazy stunts and stuff and, and being – regular lunatic type they wanted some comedy and um that's how it started you know i i um i got a, a, a deal with them within about a year after after being a, a contributor and then and when you're on the show your wip exploded so i'm i gained momentum at the same time the radio station was gaining momentum so i was a regular part of that show and, and that's that's been everything that, that's the whole deal you know you talk about a brand it's because my name was on the radio. My bits were on the radio. And now, um, then I went to MMR for three years because, uh, you know, they wanted to cut my money and things like that. It was just all normal stuff in radio. So I went over to MMR. That kind of ran out of steam. And then I went back to WYP. When I came back, they only I, I only was there part-time, a couple of days. So you got to kind of start over again. And part of my compensation is barter. So they're paying me in ads. You know what I mean? Anytime you hear ads for a guy, you know, that's part of his compensation. So it, when the ads start, you know, appearing on the radio and you have an opportunity to promote yourself, which is the least favorite part of the business for us, of course, come see me, come see me, come see me. Sucks. Anyway. So then I got the, uh, the radio ads rolling and that kind of reinforced the, the, the the brand that kind of build the brand more now when did you decide that you could start doing private gigs because that's something that you know you do i know a lot of catholic charities you do a lot of charities but how do you market yourself for them do you sit there and you know because if you're an idiot you're not gonna be able to do that i mean seriously like some comics we know are great guys but they're just stupid business people they don't know shit <laughs> and they don't i mean you know you know there's people you run into like that but how did you decide you went man you know what I can I can start doing these gigs, and then how do you, how do you 
progressively increase your asking rate because, you know, the thing about comedy, my problem was when people would say, well, I did a college once in Wilkes-Barre. A guy saw me at a show and he's like, you know, how much... How much do you want to? How much you want us to pay? And I'm like, I don't know, eight hundred dollars. Okay, what I could have got like twenty five hundred. I didn't, I didn't think. But how did, how did you Correct. start getting that private market? And then how did you start increasing your price? Uh well, first of all, the, the clubs, you know, will pay you at the bare minimum, and that's still the case. It's amazing that the, the rate for comics, middle MC headline, it ha- hasn't changed in thirty years. Just about. It's all, you know, has it's gone gone down. It's little. gone down for some. I, I, hear, I hear those clubs like in Minnesota, they're paying features 65 a show. I'm like, what are you, crazy? I mean, that's bullshit. It's amazing. It's horrible. Uh, and star, don't you have to pay? Some some places you have to pay. <laughs> I know, L.A. That's L.A. They would like tell LA. You, in L.A., oh. they, they tell you to bring people. And I remember I, I got this guy. <laughs> he sent me an email. And he goes, I love you to do my show. I said, all right. And he goes, you know, you have to bring, you know, 10 people for uh, – five minutes so i put on facebook i said can you believe this shit and someone told him he's like well, why are you yelling at me i said because that's not comedy you know you don't you don't pay you don't have people bring people when, when the comedy factory outlet clay Heary always had that room pretty packed on open mic there was always a crowd but but with the cop so with the comedy clubs though you know the rate is, is the same rate but how do you get into the private sector and then decide how much yeah to charge? well the private club I, i'll tell you what happened to me i um i'm pretty sure that i'm I either contacted this guy or he contacted me when I started doing Jody Mac show. Um, and when you get on the radio, you realize how, how far of a reach you have. I'm getting people from emails from Reading and, you know, uh, just further out than my neighborhood. You know what I mean? Delaware, Oxford, PA, uh, Lehigh Valley. You know, so I said, wow, they, they, I really have people that, that listen all the way out there. So I realized that, that the reach is a little further than just Center City or Olney or Mayfair or, or places like that. Um, but well, um, this guy, I'm pretty sure he contacted me. No, I think I contacted him. His name is Richard Blazer. He was an agent. He would advertise on WIP in the first few years about if you need a speaker to come to your banquet. I can get it, uh, you know, hire, we hire athletes. He was handling a couple of guys for uh, speaking engagements. Like I remember Tommy Her with Her's potato chips. Um, he had an endorsement together. He put some deals together. Anyway, I have to credit Richard um, where he would just, he, he, he got my fees up. I didn't have, I didn't have the nerve to ask for these fees. You know, uh, he, we started at five hundred dollars. Now, what was that? We're making a hundred bucks, maybe. That was a nice night, a hundred dollars, seventy-five dollars. You know, he's all the way up to five hundred dollars. Holy Lord, really? Are we gonna get it? And we started getting it. And then he started push. He started keep pushing it up, push it up, push it up. And the truth is, there. You know, you talk about you know the Brigham shows where or the open mics where you're not gonna get paid unless you bring five people. It's business. It is business for those clubs. They can't real. I, now I'm not going to get into the um, what club, what a manager and what a club makes because they get the alcohol and the food and everything else. I don't know their equation per se. However, you go to a company or somebody with a little money, a guy, you know, 40th birthday party who owns a car dealership. They got some dough. You know, they're gonna they they're gonna pay you know five hundred dollars. Uh, you know, and if they they really like what you do on the radio. They're going to pay it. So that's how it happened. And then you just kind of 
keep pushing the fees up a little bit. And the more exposure you have, the more value you have. And, and you know, you hang around a little bit and, yeah, that's how it works. Now, I mean, I don't know if that that answered the question. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, totally. It, it does. It's all right, Joe. You got the question. We got you covered. It's good. <laughs> No, no, I'm just saying. But you have to have the ball you have to have the balls to ask for it, basically, you know. And I was like, Oh my god, I can't believe and it's 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 good to have a either an agent or another person, whether you want to call them a rep or whatever, as your front guy, because if somebody gets to you, it's like right, all right, I'll do it. I mean, God, I mean, honestly, to this day, I would say every year I can look back on my calendar and I got more chat or, or it's really close pays versus non-paid gigs, which is, you know, um, just the fill. And I think it's good business. Honestly, I think any comic, any entertainer, you know, to do the events, especially events that give you some exposure. And that's what I did early on. I forgot to say that the more, the more you can get on a mic. I remember going down the fish street, the big shopping district in Olney, And it was this charity, um, these two, um, these two kids died of leukemia. One was from Olney, one was from Roxburgh. It was the uh, uh, Ke- uh, Jack Kelly's son, and they had everybody: uh, the uh, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, Rip Taylor, a Led Zeppelin cover band. It was an all-day affair, and I was in that show, and it's like, oh, I'm up on stage. I didn't know what the hell it was, you know. But the more you get on stage, so. When you're young, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. You do the charity stuff because it gets you stage time. It gets you awareness. And you know what? You get you you get goodwill. You know, oh, this guy's you know he'll 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 help us out. And then after you have um, you know a little bit of following, then if you do a charity for um, somebody who you know lost a, a husband in a car accident, of course I'm going to do that. You need some help, the family, whatever. Um, and I feel like that's part of giving back. And I think it's real important and it's just good business too. There's, there's nothing wrong with goodwill. So getting back to the charity thing, you know, uh, I do a ton of them and it's fun and it works. Now, how do you, how do you cater your act? Because it's something that if, if you know, if you're going to go in front of a bunch of uh, kids or whatever, I remember I, I, you know, I did a I did a, a synagogue for Scarpati years ago, so I, I had I had to figure what kind of material I'm going to do this and that. But for you, do you pretty much have the set you want to do? Because of course you're going to do you know your Andy Reid, you're going to do the stuff that people want to hear. You're going to do you know the, the probably the, I know you do a horn or something. I'm, I was I worked with you at Parks the night James Gandolfini died, and you did some uh, you did some. Were horn. you up there? I, I didn't know. I, okay, I know I I know we worked together somewhat recently. That was like, that was like, that was well, like, I'm going to get into, that was like, eight we'll years get into ago. your act when you get a minute. I'll, we're going to get into your act too. Your character that you started with. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Don't bring that up. I could have been a millionaire, dude. I wouldn't even be in New Jersey. I was before Screech. I was before Urkel. We'll get into it right now. People, just so you know, when I started doing comedy, I, you know, and, and we're going to talk about Big Daddy Graham because Big Daddy Graham always yeah. said, Steve, Stevie, Stevie, you're really a good writer. And I said, yeah, but but my writing wasn't getting anywhere. And, and I started doing this character called Steve the Stud. And I'd, I'd pull my pants up real high and I had a bow tie and I'd say, are you psyched? Are you psyched? And I would zing one-liners. I'd spray a binoc in my mouth and it went well. But unfortunately, I was growing that I, I didn't want to be that character anymore. And I was young and I was single and I wanted to get ladies yeah. after the show. But that was a thing. But that's the thing we evolved. And I went to my to my act. But for yeah. you, how do you evolve your act when you do these shows? 
because you don't want to offend people, but they, they want to see Conklin. You know, they want to see, you know, the guy who calls from the bar, you know, your characters you do. But then if it's a, if it's a conservative crowd or has kids there, you got to watch it. How do you cater? Do you say in the beginning, I want to know what people are going to be here or how do you do that? Oh, absolutely. You, you want to, it's visualizing. You have to visualize your audience as much as possible. You want to know uh, who these people are, where they're from, why they're there. And if there uh, is the is the company, is it a birthday party? Is it a um, a luncheon uh, and awards thing? Are there several companies? Is it just one company? Is it an association? Are there other celebrities there? Who's going to speak right in front of you? All these things go into so getting to the act. You you always have your chunks, as you say. You know what I mean. And for specific that, all you do is kind of rearrange them a little bit. Let me fire this early. I'll save this for late because that'll work good with this audience. I think the the I don't do a ton of tailoring because tailoring is a shitload of extra work. You know what I mean? But you do have to, in your first five minutes, make it feel like you're there for this particular party. And if you do the new stuff, the new the um the personalization, if you do it right up front as you start, thanks, Jim. Let's talk about Bob who spoke earlier. And if so, if there's a running joke involved. You want to hit that a little bit. You don't want to work in there cold like you like you just got like you just walked in the door. Those people have been sitting there either for lunch or for whatever the a morning meeting or for a previous speaker for you know at least thirty minutes. So you you want to be aware of what they're aware of, right? So you walk in and you hit. I always like to do the three top things of the day. What Terry Young used to t- he taught me this thirty five years ago. Let's talk about, you got to figure out what are the three most, well, the three things on people's mind. It's cold out today. That's got to be your number one. It's freezing out there. You know, um, coming off, uh, it's, it's Thanksgiving coming up. So the, these things you can touch on. And you can touch on them right out of the gate. It looks like, wow, this guy's, you know, it looks like some tailoring. And, and, and it really, it's, it's, it's not. It's a little common sense. And um, so in that respect, you hit that stuff early. Then you get into your act. As far as different audiences, material for different audiences, I've found that if, see, I work clean. I don't think I have, I have one F note in there for a bit that I'll do every once in a while. If you curse, it's got to be strategic. You have to curse for a reason. You just don't get up there and curse and, and drop uh, F notes. And even the word shit is not a great word on stage. I don't, I don't particularly like it because it's like, it's a little cringy at a luncheon. So the point is if you don't do it in, in the nightclub, then it won't come out at the luncheon. So take it out on your, on your rudest act, you know, at your most base act, just don't curse. I mean, I had a filthy mouth off stage, but on stage, I'm pretty much squeaky clean. Um, and so that's how I handle that as far as being versatile enough to work different audiences. Just just start with being clean and then you don't have to because once you've got something in your act, it's hard as hell to get it out. Even one word, you know, you, you know how that is because you're just so used to saying it a million times, you know. Does that answer to the question, Steve? You're doing great. You're doing great. I just throw up softballs and you hit them. Now, I, I want to bring up both our friend Big Daddy Graham, who passed away. And it's funny, Big Daddy, you know, got me a lot of work at the beginning. He used to book Mitchell's. And then when I was in L.A., 
I would call Big Daddy once every two weeks, and we had a little uh, a, a sketch. On the air? Yeah, we'd have a sketch uh. where he I, he would call, and, and I would tell him, because I was interviewing the celebrities for Cooper Talk. People go to coopertalk.net. Uh, see, that's a plug. Um, but no, I would and I would sit there, and he would say to me, he'd go, hey, Stevie, Stevie, so who'd you meet? And I'd go, man, this guy's big. Man, this guy's bigger than big. And he'd be like, okay, who was it? Brad Pitt? This? I go, no. I go, Anson Williams, who played Potsy. And he'd be like, ah. And we would do it every two weeks. I would call him at, at midnight. When he got on air, I think I would call him a half hour in, and he had a song, The Hollywood Shuffle, he would play. And uh, and I loved doing it. Even when I moved, when I would visit my now wife back east, I would wake up at like 3 in the morning and call him, even though I didn't want to, because I was on West Coast time. But he helped me a lot. How did your relationship start with Big Daddy Graham? And then, you know, well, I'm going to talk about how you guys branched out and you were doing the odds couple. You were doing actual theater shows. But how did you and Big Daddy become so close? Was it the WIP connection? Because everybody knew him and loved him in Philly. And all the comics, he was so good to us. He was always, he was never a prick to any comic. And he always, if he could help you out, he would. And he cultivated that image. <laughs> by saying, when I book a show, I don't take any fee for the agent. I give it back to the acts. Uh, he was uh, one, of, one of my closest friends in the business and in life, really. For, uh, he helped me from the very beginning. He helped a lot of guys. And he did. He, he did. I mean, he was so crafty and when he went about his, his approach to the business, to show business, because he was in everything. Uh, but our relationship goes back to... Um, he, like I said, remember the gong shows when I was in, coming into uh, into the business in the 80s, there was talent shows and gong shows. And that's when you got up on. That's the only place you got up on stage. Open mics. They did have some open mics, but they weren't as as um, uh, available as they are now. Like every Tuesday night, uh, open mics were like maybe once in a while at like the works or something like that. But the gong show. Anyway, long story short, I went on this gong show at 23 East Cabaret, and it was a group called Comic Relief. Do you remember them? Yeah. They were kind of running it, or, or a judge. I forget what it was. But they they ran this event, and Big Daddy was closing. He was at, he would he would do, he was doing his whole act at the end. So they had all this other stuff before to make it a full night. You know what I mean? Of entertainment. So they had I don't know seven acts then comic relief and then big daddy. So big, I get off stage. I did about five minutes of voices and big daddy comes up to me. He goes, Hey man, you know, you're really good. I, I mean it. You can do this for a living. <laughs> and he goes, hey, I want to give you a number. This guy's name's Paul Solari. <laughs> Oh, so he gives me Solari's name and number. I call Solari and I start working. And um, he immediately gives me, you know, five minutes at the King of Prussia Comedy Club, which was, I think Solari and Scarpati were just starting to come into their own. Andy had that room in Wilmington. I think that was his only room. And Paul had a thousand rooms all over the place one-nighters during the week but he had the weekend clubs he had he had that king of prussia room and he had yeah you know, he had several other rooms anyway um so i went up there and uh, and, and that was it basically I, I started doing it and then you get more work once once you get your opportunity so anyway that was eddie eddie got me started he's the guy who basically discovered uh 
you know, uh, me doing uh, some work and got me work and got me rolling. And then I started using them. I'd be, the big thing was, oh, oh, within six months after working for Paul, I realized, hey, what about the club up the street from my house? Who I know, who I know the guy that runs it. I'm going to start the club. So I started booking my own acts. It's always, I don't know what, it, I don't know what kind of sign it is, but it's something that says, and, and of course it pissed Paul off. I don't even know if it, you start, not, not that it's his uh, jurisdiction or territory or anything like that, but once you start calling comics, comics think that you have work, think that you're an agent. They, they don't, you know, they, they don't know, hey, I got a job from this guy, Joe Conn, Con who's that? Yeah, must be a new booker. Anyway, I booked Big Daddy Graham, Ben Curlin, and myself. What else? This place. What else? <laughs> ben, one of Ben's best lines was, where do I stand to get paid? I his, my, my, my favorite joke of Ben Curlin is the lobster one. He goes, next time, bring me the winner. You know, that's a Henny Youngman. It's not even his. He gave me shit for, for using it on the radio, which I footnoted. And he uh, he said, ah, I've been using that bit for a long time. Whatever. But he got pissed that I, I used it. Bring me to win. It's, it's an old Henny Youngman. He, anyway, Ben Curlin, um, I'm not talking about his act. He would say to Big Daddy, uh, Big Daddy used to talk about this. Ben, Ben, you know, we want to get paid. So Ben, you know, you don't want to wait around to get paid. Who do I see? Ben would say, where do I stand to get paid? <laughs> in other words, I'm not running all over the yard looking for my money, which is always a pain in the ass. Uh, all right, getting back to Eddie. Um, so if you recall, in the mid to late 80s and, and beyond for 10 or 15 years, anybody that ever opened a, a started a comedy night at, any club in Philly, they would you would you would you would start with Big Daddy. Let's get the big name in there first. He was the biggest name, and I don't know how many you know, you know. So I got Big Daddy. I got him in there, and then we you know started the relationship. He uh, we started. He 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 always encouraged me. He always had my back. He wanted me to do a tape. He said you should really be have some merch. Get it get a cassette. So we produce. He produced my cassette. Because uh, he wanted to expand his uh, name a little bit. Smile Products. I want to start this company called Smile Products. <laughs> he was big with the smile. And we did a cassette together, and then we worked together. And then, and then we, when I started at IP, well, he was in radio. Of course, he had the, uh, the MMR stuff with John DeBell uh, when he was at the outlet. He had the, I mean, Christ, Big Daddy was a legend when I was a kid growing up. I mean, he got... He got big fast just from nuns and calling sick and the song parodies um, that were played on the bell. And that was the key to both of our successes, really, just getting on the radio. You get that kind of mass media exposure and it just works. So um, we um, we were both called. We, uh, I was got when I started on IP, uh, they, they, they were using me part time on the morning show and I was still calling with Jody. 1210 started something called the sports attack and big daddy had also uh, had, had been a fill-in on 1210 anyway they offered me a job and i said i can't get it i said i'm called big daddy they hired big daddy it was big daddy Steve, um uh, neil hartman and um scott graham 
Well, the show didn't last. It lasted a year or two in the afternoon. Big Daddy came right over to our station and started doing overnights. So we've been intertwined from the very beginning, you know, and then at that point we were uh, co-workers. He would do the overnights. I would do the mornings. Al Morgani would would set us up for would would start pranking Big Daddy, and I would prank it. Eddie was great to prank because he would get so pissed off. You could really throw him if you got a certain if you got it. You can get in his crawl pretty easily. Uh, I remember he he left his email open one day, and I started replying to. Him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'd be fired for half the shit we did. Um, <laughs> I got a funny story. Uh, this is the only one I'll tell. But I replied to about seven people. One of them was the Phillies. And they they announced the Phillies were in the toilet at that point. They announced the signing of a minor leaguer. And I replied, are you shitting me? You have the nerve to announce this signing. If you, you're doing nothing with this club, you've been seller toilet. <laughs> I said it all. <laughs> he, he got a thing back from the PR department. Complaining because he always massaged the PR department to get free stuff and tickets <laughs> and everything. How dare you? Stu Bykovsky, he, he was, I replied to Stu Bykovsky and I said, <laughs> Somebody just called and said they have pictures of you with a lit candle in your ass. <laughs> Stu's reply was, Was this on the air? <laughs> Okay. Well, I... so, so, and then I would call Eddie's show as different people. I called him once as, oh yeah, he's ripping Pat Croce. And we're going to work at about 5 a.m. Uh, I'm on Route 70. And I, I would I have, sometimes I would see Morgani. Morgani pulls into the Wawa. He says, you got to call Big Daddy right now as Croce because he's rip, ripping Croce. So I called Big Daddy up. I said, I, and I, I'm not good at the pranks. I, I just, I don't carry it off well. I think they know, you know, you because you got to fool somebody. It's not a bit. It's a, it's a, it's an imposter bit. You ever do an imposter? It's hard. You got to stick to it and be convicted about it and not laugh. So I called up Big Daddy, Pat Croce. I thought we were friends. And listen, Pat, I did. You just called me this and that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that, Pat. <laughs> So I had him, you know, hook, line, and sinker. And then somehow, after about a minute, I just kind of gave up and started laughing or something like that. Yeah, you got a lot of nerve. And so the next day, the real Bill Campbell calls his show because he can't sleep. Hello, Big Daddy, this is Bill Campbell. No, it's not. Well, now, now, how did how did you and Big Daddy though get into doing like the Odd Couple? Because you guys were doing like serious like shows. I mean, was that something? Your longtime friends? Did you want to yeah. act? I mean, I know Big Daddy had his hands in everything. He was a drummer to start. I mean, you know, he told me to start. He started out playing the drums. He had that thing, and you know, every comic, you know, because comics, it's natural for us to act. I mean, it's just because we're insecure fuckers and we have <laughs> need the attention. But how, when did you guys start to do? Because I know you guys were doing a lot of productions. Well, we hung out a lot and he had ideas. And the truth is he's he's a lot more ambitious than I was. You know, I'm I, I had ambition a lot. I get it in streaks, you know how it is. You get, oh, I'm gonna do this, do this, and you, you get complacent. That's all there is to it. Good is the enemy of great. So I had it pretty good 
a lot of times. And Eddie would always push, let's do this, let's do this. So he wanted to do this odd couple. And I thought that was cool. I think the odd couple came first, if I'm not with the two funny Philly guys. Anyway, yeah, let's do it. Because I was hanging out on his porch down in Sea Isle. And <clears throat> anyway, I, I said, okay, I think I can do it. He, he, he always wanted to do everything. And everything we did together was always his idea. He had the push. That's all his... He was 99% sell and push and 1% everything else. Uh, so we did the odd couple. We did it a couple times. Maybe we did it once at the JCC in the Northeast. We did it once in Jersey at the at outdoor playhouse in Haddon Township or something, Haddon Heights. And I just, I did it. I didn't really care for it because it's so much different than stand up. Number one, you got a script that's not yours. I, I just, I didn't have enough laughs. Matt Oscar had more laughs. It is a natural uh, casting, though. I was Felix, fastidious, smaller, little skinny guy. Uh, Oscar's a big fast, <laughs> big slob, <laughs> which Eddie can pull off. <laughs> and he's a big dude. So it, it, and it was fun. It was, it was, it was, um, it was, it, I'm glad I did it, but I don't know about, acting so much and doing plays and stuff like that it just wasn't as rewarding as getting laugh 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 and and just doing your own thing um the other thing two funny philly guys you know <clears throat> he pushed for that and i said sure i'll do it okay and that was basically we would kind of come out together and say hello or we could have maybe we'd have an mc then i would do we'd alternate closing I do, he'd do his act. I do my act, whatever I do uh, my act. We do, we each do 45 minutes set and then come back at the end and, and do something Philly related, like uh, singing jingles, uh, you know, the ideal jingle or doors unlimited, you know, the doors unlimited. So I'll start it. You finish it. Well, it's funny. Doors unlimited doors. It's funny. <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was talking to someone the other day uh, and I was trying to tell them about, it's beginning to look a lot like Gimbal's, and and they didn't they didn't know that. And the people, the younger people, there used to be a department store called Gimbal's, and instead of it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, the song will be it's beginning to look a lot like Gimbal's, and that still sticks in my head. So so back to the Philly show. So you guys did that, and it was popular. The people really dug it, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we well, we combined both of our uh, followings, and um, and he was so good at promotion, man. He would call. He he learned that growing up in the business, where you would go on the morning show, whether it was in Rochester or in, in North Carolina, or whatever. Go on the morning show, somehow get into the local paper, call the local paper up ahead of time. So he was used to making sure that the word got out about the show. So whenever we did our shows, it was um, he would definitely call these papers. What are you doing? We're on the radio. We got enough promotion. No, we let's get a celebrity to MC. Uh, some people that like him will show up to our show. He just had all these great promotional ideas. He was a machine with that. Um, and it was all him. He did it all. And I said, yeah, I, I'm in, go ahead. And, and, and we, um, and, 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 and there was nobody better at pounding, 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 you know, the promotion part. Now, how did Parks Casino come about? Cause you've had that comedy night, as I said, for a while. I mean, how did they approach you and how do you sit there 
once again, you know, as you say, once you book a comedy night, you know, in the beginning, everybody's calling you. I mean, it's like, it's just, it's given. People don't even know. Guys are like, I got three minutes. Could I come in? Oh, yeah, yeah, three minutes. You know, you, you can't. But what did they approach you? Because it's, it's a comedy that actually, and it, it bounced back after the pandemic, which a lot of clubs didn't. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> uh it's about that brand building you know what i mean uh the marketing guy named mike baldini does marketing for parks uh, and chickies also uh but there's two big clients for him and he had the idea to start a, a comedy and bring me in as the uh, you know and put my name on it and <clears throat> You know, it just worked. It, it was, um, it was, it was two parks was already branded. Casinos, they're doing pretty well. Now you got sports gambling, they're doing pretty well. And uh, they combined with me, who's got my own branding going on the radio. So, I mean, it's kind of a perfect marriage. And they're class acts. They're, they're just probably, you know, you got a handful of casinos in this area. Some of them change hands a few times. Some of them, as a, I don't want to blow uh, uh, blow the horn of parks or, or why not, but they they've been the, the number one casino in Pennsylvania for since they opened and they've been just killing it ever since. And <clears throat> to to be working with an outfit like that, it's it's really um, you know it's good, it's good stuff. They're they're now, uh, they're a big casino now. Now uh, so do you do Mike? The answer to your question is Baldini. Mike Baldini Communications. Mike Baldini came to me said, "Let's start this." And luckily, he's the one who's jockeying all the comics. He's dealing with all these guys that want to get on stage. He's uh, he's the booker, and he's he you know we we're dealing with some guys out of New York. Jim and I gave us some lists. We got some uh, some other guys from uh, anyway. He's he, he deals with all that, and he's capable of doing that. So it relieves me of it. It's now, 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 have you have you got down a Sirianni yet? Can you do a Sirianni? No, and Angelo keeps breaking my chops about that. <clears throat> I, I think I, I could, um, I don't know, I could try them. I don't know, with the, some of these voices, you got to get in a zone. Uh, there's, the, I'm sorry, there's either a tone, a, an actual voice tone, or the cadence, or the words they use. But the cadence, the, the tone, I can't even, I, I can't even arrive at. Um, I'd have to get into a serious, um, exercise where i'm playing back the tapes of him and i'm trying to and i'm recording it uh no i haven't gotten them down he hasn't done anything that has, has stood out he hasn't really said anything besides the uh he said a, a couple things were you know the trees and the plants and the guy's doing well he doesn't make a big deal of himself i don't know i i, I have no excuse i just can't get his voice <laughs> some of them you can't get i got i got one more question um Who's your favorite to do? Who, who? I mean, if you look back, you've done so many. I know Trump, you did really well. Um, you did Andy Reid. I mean, there's some, as I said, I remember when you did Ray Rhodes. But who has been one of your favorites? Like, when you sit there and go, man, it's like, who is, like, if you were Flock of Seagulls, you have to do Iran every every show. Is there any, any voice that you have to do every show or you just say, I want to do this because I love it? <clears throat> Well, there's no question the the voice that I'm most comfortable using and one that I use around the house every day, it's got to be Harry. What a beautiful, resonant voice. 
Harry Gallus voice of the Fells. Yeah, Harry, Harry's been the favorite one. Uh, people like Nicholson, you know, nobody knows anymore. The young people don't even know who this guy is. Um, I guess the did, and for sending, <clears throat> hello there. She came in through the bathroom window. For some reason, I'll think of it. I, I, I do song lyrics with John Fassender. <laughs> There's a lady who's sure all the glitters is gold. Uh, so some of those guys, I, I would say Harry Cowell. It used to be Bill Cowell. Oh, my. Bill Cowell. You growing up listening to Bill Cowell already. Right? You believe that? Can you believe? Oh, baby. So it's some some guys are just like. When I used to do Bill Campbell, all I had to do was say any, I would say anything and it would get a laugh. And people, you know, if you're, if you're a WIP addict uh, early on in the early nineties, but Callis and for a Philadelphia audience, I used to open up with Harry Callis every show because that gave me immediate credibility. And it was like a, whoa, that's, you know, it, it would get attention. It, it, it would get everybody's attention right away. And that's what you kind of want. Now, have you ever had anyone react to your impressions? Because you know Joe Matteris. Me and Joe used to go back about uh, doing Eric Roberts. You know, Eric, they should die, Charlie. And I, my fault, well, God, I, I, I interviewed Eric Roberts. And after we got a fair, I said, dude, I said, I got to do my impression. So he said to his wife, and he goes, and I go, they should fucking die, Charlie. And he's like, hey, man, that's, that's pretty good. But has anyone, ever come up, has anyone ever come up to you and after this, like, that you've impersonated and say, that's really good, or like, you're a dick. I mean, has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I had a couple incidents. Ray Rhodes um, uh, was probably the best because Ray, Ray said, I used to see Ray, I, was, I guess I was doing a lot of banquets. We did the banquets together. And uh, Ray, Ray acknowledged one time, man, I got me down good, man. He got me, ticked me off. He got me down real good. When, when, you, when, your, when your wife and your kids start saying, man, he got you, then, you know, he got you. So uh, he, he gave me that compliment. And, and one time he came, he saw he saw me at the um I forget which one it was. It might have been the Maxwell, the sports writers. He came over before he goes, Hey man, do me a favor tonight, man. Lay off the side of me shit, okay? Don't don't say shot. Um, uh, my boss is here tonight. Lay off the side of me. <laughs> it's asking me to give him a break. I, no problem, right? I used to use this line with Ray Rose Because you know Ray had the big famous diatribe. He used to go on the radio. They had to bleep him out. They couldn't air his stuff live anymore because he's dropping F notes and he would use the analogy of um, you got to look at this team coming into town, like they're coming into your, you know, the whole my house thing. But he said, you got, you got to go beyond that and, 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 and visualize them breaking into your house, breaking into your refrigerator, taking your food, breaking into your bedroom and raping your wife and daughter. This is the shit he's saying on the air. He's saying, and, and sodomizing your kid. He said this, he goes, he, used to say, he would say that. I think he said it one time, but they said, Jesus Christ, what the hell's going on here? Ray Rhodes said, you got you to gotta visualize somebody sodomizing your, your wife or kid. So I used to say this line, man, that was a tough loss last week. That loss really, really hurt me, man. That hurt deep down inside of me. Did I say sodomy? So <laughs> he said, don't do that this time. Um, Another guy that used to give me shit was Bill Berge. Now, nobody really, Bill, you know, he's out of the loop now. But, <clears throat> you know, I would do him a lot. He's a big fella, number 66, all-pro middle linebacker, toughest guy in the league. But he had a voice like this, and he would say to me, hey, fella, 
you imitate me, you make me sound like a munchkin, and I don't. I said, hell, you don't. You sound like one. And he would uh, shake my hand, and he'd squeeze the hell out of my hand, and grab my neck like he's hugging me, and really try to hurt me. <laughs> he wanted to snap my neck. And I had one other thing was Vermeil. I used to do Vermeil. There was a point where Vermeil, when he came back into coaching, they teased the uh, Eagles job for him. When the Eagles were looking for a coach, I think it was after Rose, right before the handle, they hired Reed. So um, they didn't hire Vermeil. And Vermeil got pissed off in an interview. You know, I, I felt that I was lied to in three different occasions where they offered me the job. You know, and, and then the truth is, I'm not going to get down on my freaking knees and beg Jeffrey Laurie to coach this freaking football team. So we did a whole bit. Well, welcome to freaking Eagles talk with the coach Vermeil. Go ahead, coach. Let's hear something about more freaking Eagles talk. <laughs> so we played it up. He didn't really care for that too much. I saw him at one of the banquets and I just wanted, I went up and introduced myself and I said, Hey coach, how you doing? Uh, I'm Joe Conklin. I'm the guy that's been imitating you on your, oh, I, I know who you are. You got that freaking part down pretty good, don't you? <laughs> so so he, he didn't really care for it. And I, I hadn't been back to the Maxwell Club in 20 years. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. So what what would your what would your um advice be to, about building a brand to some people who are sitting there starting their own business? What would you say is the most important thing how to build your brand? Well, I've been fortunate. I've had a forum. I've had one of the best platforms you know that you can get sports radio in philadelphia on the morning show i mean that's how my band brand was built i mean make no mistake about it that's it, you know getting getting on the radio so i'm not a brand specialist i'm not a marketing specialist i just got on the morning show that's how i built my brand uh i don't what i would say to anybody who's trying just get out there work for nothing don't worry about the money at first Get yourself in front of people as much as possible. I mean, you've heard this, right? That's what they used to tell us. I remember they told me this many times growing up in the business. Don't worry about the money. Just put yourself out there. Get, get in front of the right people. If you're good, people will remember you. Work breeds work. You will get more work. Don't worry about the money. It just just keep just keep putting yourself out front. Just get out there as much as possible. So that's all I got. I mean, I can't. I don't have any secret about brand building and things like that. All right, well, talking about brand, tell people how they can get in touch with you besides JoeCoglin.com. JoeCoglin.com. Let me tell you about that, how that came out. When I was with MMR, they, they, uh, they gave me, the, you know, we, uh, they, they gave me some commercials. Well, they gave me um, airtime. Uh, of course, we could promote the gigs, but uh, I had a commercial and a guy named Steve Lushbaugh started this. Good old Lush, an old va radio veteran. It's like, Come out and see Joe Conklin. I would put a slice of uh, material a bit in the spot, and then the announcer tag would come on. And say, like Joe Conklin will be appearing at the, this fire hall or this parish hall on October 22nd. For tickets, go to joeconklin.com. And, the you know, he was up to about 55 seconds. He still had time to fill. So he just repeated the name, joeconklin.com. Joeconklin.com! And he, he said it three or four times and then screamed it at the end. And that stuck. I said, damn, that is, that's a good hook. So from then, that point forward, that's about, that's 20 years ago. I started putting the screen of the website in all the spots. And that kind of stuck. So 
Uh, as far as the plug is concerned, yeah, it's go to joeconklin.com. Uh, I got this great show now. When isn't it great to, I mean, who wouldn't want to put their act to music? So that's basically what we're doing. It's uh, all the Philly stuff. It's kind of a salute, a little pandering. You touch people in the heartstrings, a little nostalgia, and, um, you know, uh, and a beautiful city rhythm orchestra uh, with, you know, tremendous five different singers. It's, it's uh, a lot of fun. So we've got two shows tomorrow, Sellersville Theater, eight shows sold, 8 p.m. shows sold out. Still some tickets for the 5 p.m. show. And then, of course, we're going to uh, January at the Westchester University. February, we'll be back at the home where Big Daddy Graham and I started the Two Funny Philly Guys, the Broadway Theater in Pittman, New Jersey. Hope to see you there. Right, man, I want to thank you, Joe. So people, go check out JoeCoglin.com and uh, <laughs> check out my past episodes at the Coop Tank dot podcast dot com or go check my other uh celebrity interviews out uh the big the big uh 935 episodes of coopertalk.net you can also email me at the coop tank at yahoo.com if you want someone to interview you bring us into the studio me and my producer joe ganjemi will sit there and record you you can get a high quality production of an interview with me you can do 30 minutes you can do 15 minutes and you know what you can put it on your social media and you can look really good so i want to thank you guys for listening and i'll talk to you next are you time. go yo by, by the way are you you coming down wednesday i'm gonna try i'm gonna try i'm gonna try okay. so people cool. so thank you for listening and joe take it away 